0: Hey, this is Walter Chen. I'm the founder and CEO of I Done This, and you're listening to the Conversion Aid Podcast. Welcome to the Conversion Aid Podcast, where we help software entrepreneurs to take their business to the next level. Each week, we interview proven industry experts who share their strategies and insights to help you create software that sells. Here's your host, Omer Khan.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Conversion Aid podcast. I'm your host, Omer Khan, and this is the podcast for software entrepreneurs and companies who want to grow their business to the next level and create software that sells. Today's guest is Walter Chen. Walter is the co-founder and CEO of I Done This, an email-based productivity tool that allows people to track their productivity with a daily email reminder. You reply to an evening email reminder with what you did that day, and the next day, you get a digest with what everyone on the team got done. The company was founded in 2011, and its investors include folks such as the CEOs of Zappos, Shopify, and Wistia. Walter is a software engineer and a former big law firm lawyer. This is part one of the interview with Walter. And in this episode, we talk about why Walter quit his job as a lawyer to launch a SaaS business. How I done this was just supposed to be a side project, not a business. Why bringing on a co founder was one of Walter's biggest mistakes. The single most important metric that many startups ignore. And how a single email to a customer Resulted in a high-profile investor. Remember, if you want to stay in touch, then join the Conversion Aid community. You'll get notified of new episodes right in your inbox, and it's a great way to learn key strategies and insights from proven successful software entrepreneurs. I've interviewed about 60 amazing entrepreneurs so far, and I'm interviewing new ones every week. So if you want to learn what I'm learning, then join the community today. Just go to conversionaid.com, slash vip and i'll see you on the other side so with that let's get back to the interview walter welcome to the show yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it now i gave the audience a brief overview of your product and business but tell us a little bit about yourself personally who is walter when he's not working
0: (laughs) um yeah you know i'm uh 31 years old, I I used to be a lawyer and a software developer, so I used to code for fun and that kind of thing. Um, And in my free time now, I mostly hang out with my girlfriend and uh, play soccer, Um, grew up playing soccer. Um, So yeah, so I'm just uh, your average software developer plus lawyer plus casual soccer player.
1: (laughs) We like to kick things off with a success quote to better understand what drives and motivates our guests. Now, I I know you're not uh, a quotes guy, but what what drives and motivates you? What gets you out of bed to do what you do every day?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, I think it's actually sort of a deeper question. uh, You know, than sort of like a one off thing. Um, I think one of the things that really motivates me is just. uh, Uh, doing right by the people who, you know, trust in you and who put their confidence in you. So, you know, sort of try to make your parents proud and, and your friends and your employees and your investors. Um, That's like one of the main things that, and and yourself. um, And that's one of the main things that sort of inspires me and gets me going in the morning. But you know, some days you forget like why exactly you're, you know, why exactly you're doing what you're doing. Um, And uh, so for me, like, and we recently had kind of one of those moments where it's like, wait a second, why are we doing what we're doing again? Um, and <laughs> so there's always like opportunities to reflect and sort of renew and, and find new reasons to do what you're doing. Um, so so yeah, but I think at the core, it's always sort of, for me, it's like uh, doing best, doing well by yourself, doing the best that you can and then, and you know, by the people who care about you.
1: Now, um, l- let's start by giving the, listeners a better understanding of I done this, um, who are your target customers and what's the pain point that you're trying to solve for them?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. So most of our target customers, most of our customers are software companies, tech companies of size, you know, two people all the way down to two people to, uh, you know, to thousands of people. Uh, most of them are in the range of, you know, 20 people. Uh, and, uh, they really use this because it's a it's a it's it's a huge problem to just figure out what everyone's working on and what everyone's getting done. so it's just that sort of syncing up problem. Some people try to solve this with email or daily stand ups um uh, and for various reasons, those can often be inefficient or you know annoying, painful in various ways. Um, so yeah, we make it really easy to know what everyone's working on
1: now, I want to talk about where you got the idea for this product, but before we get into that. I wanna talk about your background because it's just so fascinating. And how how does a a big firm lawyer become a software entrepreneur?
0: <laughs> so there's actually I you know, I actually meet a lot of a lot of people, former lawyers who are doing startups now. Um maybe so maybe it's actually kind of like a tight fraternity. Um maybe I know all of them, but uh <laughs> uh but yeah, so I grew up so I grew up like coding for fun, and I actually, my dad's a math professor, so I always did a lot of math growing up, Um, and when I got to college, like, I thought, you know, I was trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, one of the things I actually enjoyed doing for fun was, you know, coding and that kind of thing, so I thought, hey, maybe I'll do computer science, maybe I'll become a software developer, but I remember, you know, (laughs) CS in college is like a lot of, like, for whatever reason, I don't know, I, I can't even remember why now, Uh, but it's a lot of like staying up all night to finish projects. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, you're just like always pulling all nighters. Um, and, uh, during one of these all nighters, I was thinking to myself, you like, here I am doing another all nighter, hanging out with a bunch of dudes, like in a sweaty computer lab. I think I want (laughs) to do something different. Uh, so that gave me, so it kind of gave me the idea. I always like to read and write. Um, and so I thought "Mm, maybe I'll be a lawyer. Maybe I'll go to law school and be a lawyer. So it was kind of like on a whim. There was no good reason. I always liked like John reading John Grisham books growing up and like watching Matlock and stuff. Although those are terrible reasons. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, but, uh, yeah. So, but you know, so I ended up going to law school and being a lawyer. I practiced for a couple of years and uh, I practiced here in New York. And um, and then you know I was kind of getting sick of what I was doing, and I was reconnecting with some friends who were who wanted to do something in tech. Um, this was like 2009, 2010. It was like kind of 2008 to 2010. I reconnected with some friends and we kicked around ideas. And finally, I decided to quit my job. And that's how I ended up doing, you know, back in sort of like software and technology um, after being a lawyer.
1: So uh, tell me more about how you came up with the idea for i, I done this.
0: Yeah. So <clears throat> my co founder, Rodrigo, who um, is the CTO. He, you know, so we, when I quit my job in September of 2000, uh, I think it was 10, um, we had this idea, Rodrigo and I, he was doing a PhD in physics at Northwestern and he wanted to drop out too. So he had, the, we had this, we kicked around a bunch of ideas, okay, none of which were connected to like our own experience or anything like that. They were just a bunch of random ideas, you know, that we thought would potentially make for a good company. So one of those ideas was like this apartment rental application thing. Um, and so we started it with this third guy. And we, I moved to San Francisco and we ended up building it. But you know, t- while we were doing it, we were just like, hey, we're not really that interested in apartment rental applications, doing them online. Um, even though it could be an interesting business, Like, we just weren't interested in doing it. So <clears throat> I decided I was going to go back to New York. But before I went... Rodrigo and I built this side project that was his idea that became my done this, which was basically he wanted something that would keep him accountable for diet and exercise. Cause he was, you know, at that time he had become like pretty overweight and that kind of thing. So, uh, so he just wanted something to bug him every day to keep him accountable, and that is, and I just so that became I done this. I done this was just something for an individual to keep what they tra- keep track of what they got done every day, and then over time it evolved into something that companies and software teams would use to stay in the loop on what they were working on.
1: Wow. Well, okay, so you built this initially for Rodrigo. At what point did you guys decide that? this was going to become a a product and a business for you?
0: Yeah, it's an interesting question because there was never, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's we never actually made, and, and this could have been a mistake, um, but we kind of just fell into working on it more and more, even though we never really made a conscious decision like, oh, we're going to turn this into a real business. It was just like the only thing we had going on at the time. So we just kept working on it more. Um, and so that's good and bad. One, it's like, you know, if I actually had put more thought into, like, what the point is, maybe I wouldn't have kept working on it. Um, on the flip side, like, you know, it's always good. We always, later on down the road, we had these sort of crises, like, like uh, you know, why are we working on this? We just happened to choose to work on this. Um, so, so what ended up happening was, like, it was the first thing we had built that anyone, not even, any, like, even a single person cared about. Because, <laughs> like, everything else we had built before, it seemed like nobody cared. <laughs> um, but with I done this, we built it and we had hundreds of people sign up immediately. And then some of them kept using us and telling us that they liked it. So that's why we kept working on it. And so we launched it in January of 2011 and, uh, and then we just kept working on it on the side. And then eventually in June of 2011, we decided that we were going to work on it full time.
1: So, so initially you would just like working on it and just making it better for, for Rodrigo. And well, it,
0: for Rodrigo and the
1: few and the hundreds
0: of people that were using it.
1: How, how did those other people find out about it?
0: Yeah. So it's, we didn't have any sort of brilliant launch strategy or anything like that. And of course, you know, I'm not, <laughs> so getting a hundred people to sign up is not, you know, it doesn't represent like success for most people It's just for us, you know? Um, but uh the way we did it, we we just put it on Hacker News. Like uh that's all we did. And uh and oh we we not only put it on Hacker News, but we got a few of our friends to upvote it. So uh you know we got a few of our friends to upvote it and we sort of did a little study on you know what the subject line should look like for a successful post and you know had a little bit of strategy around, okay, we're gonna make sure we're on top of it, we're gonna reply to all the comments, people who commented, etc. Um and uh and so after, you know, it got uploaded to the front page, some other publications picked up, picked it up. So the next web start, wrote about it and some other people wrote about it. And that's how it really, it sort of picked up steam.
1: Okay. And then uh, what happened in June? So you said you guys decided to, to kind of launch it as a product then?
0: Yeah. So we, we, uh, we applied to different, incubators like for a certain group of people like the only way they know how to start a company is to like apply to all the accelerators right and that was us like we were like we didn't know what to do so we were like okay we'll apply to like you know Y Combinator or whatever you know Techstars and we applied to this other accelerator called AngelPad based in San Francisco um and uh and um we ended up getting into AngelPad and it was the thing about AngelPad is it was run by ex Google people. So a bunch of ex Google executives started this accelerator. And and so the reason why that's a connection or that's relevant is because uh at Google they had a system called Google Snippets which was something that would send you the whole company email every week asking what everyone's working on. And uh it was very similar to I done this. At the time I done this was just for individuals. So it was very similar to I done this except it was for the whole company and uh so these ex-Google executives really loved it at Google and thought that it should be something that exists in the world. And so when we talked to them, they were excited to fund us and uh, have us focus on building a product for companies. And so, so, we, you know, at that, so given that sort of validation, not just like sort of we had you know, grown the user base, but then we also had investors who were smart and who were interested in us who had some vision, you know, who sort of like helped us cultivate a vision around it. And then they funded us. So we, you know, we, and we turned it into a real company at that point. Uh,
1: How much money did you initially raise? So yeah, from
0: AngelPad. So AngelPad was, you know, the typical like 20K um, deal. And then alongside that, two VCs invested 100K. So we had 120K. And then, uh, and then, we went through AngelPad, and at the end of AngelPad, we raised another three hundred sixty k. So that brought our total to like, uh, you know, oh, sorry, we invested another two sixty k. So that brought our total to three eighty k invested. That was by the end of two thousand eleven.
1: Okay, got it. Looking back at those early days, what do you think was one of the biggest mistakes that you guys made?
0: Yeah, so <laughs> so one <laughs> mistake that we made. It's actually funny, you know, kind of funny to think about it is, Rodrigo and I, uh, you know, none of this really makes any sense, like, when you think back about it, but, so, <clears throat> Rodrigo and I, we didn't really know each other that well, we had known each other for a few years through a mutual friend, um, but we had, you know, we had worked on, I'd done this, and we had made it happen. Right before we did AngelPad, Pad, I, I was in San Francisco, this happens all, this is just random stuff that happens in San Francisco, I was walking around San Francisco, and I ran into my college roommate, okay. Who I hadn't talked to since sophomore year of college, because you know we lived in the same you know tiny room together and ended up hating each other, right? <laughs> uh, as happens to college roommates, I ran into him, but he's also one of the smartest guys I know. So his name is Jay, because we were not only uh, college roommates, but we were also CS partners in in like you know t- two classes, which was really stupid, um, because you know we like learned to hate each other. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, anyways, he is still, and he was, and still is one of the smartest guys I've ever met. So wh- I ran into him. He had just quit, quit his job at Yelp. He was an early employee at Yelp. He actually wrote the first version of the Yelp iPhone app. So he was like legit. He was doing his thing, but he was trying to. Fer- he was kind of lost. So he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do. So I said, "Hey, come work at I done this without like you know no like sort of thought behind it or vetting process. <laughs> to, to me, it was just like here's the, like one of the smartest guys I know. Um, he's slightly insane." But uh, let's just bring him on and see what happens. Anyway, uh, my co-founder, obviously, Rodrigo, was really impressed by him because he's really smart. And basically, through the course of AngelPad, the team disintegrated. Um, Jay, as he always does, lost interest in what we were doing and decided to quit. Um, And so when Jay decided to quit, we we had already raised some money, but we hadn't put that money in the bank. So they had invested based on... So we never thought that the title of co-founder really meant anything. It was like, we could just give the title of co-founder to anybody, right? Um, but it turns out, because, you know, all these people, because they had invested in a team of me, Rodrigo, and Jay, when it turned out Jay was going to leave, they were all going to take their money out. They were all going to not invest, right? <laughs> and, wow. and that makes total sense to me thinking back on it. But when I was going into it, I was just like, yeah, if, if, I thought it was actually very possible that Jay would leave, but I didn't think that it, there would be any repercussions. I'd be like, oh, yeah, if Jay left, we'll just get the code that he wrote for free. You know, and that would be <laughs> awesome, <laughs> right? Um, but, you know, it, it turns out there are real consequences because, like, everyone invested, like, we had gone through everything thinking that Jay, every, we called Jay a co-founder, everyone thought that Jay was a co-founder, and when Jay left, it was almost like, you know, everything was going to collapse. Um, we, and, and because Jay was in a three-person team, like the team kind of the team dynamics changed dramatically and Rodrigo and I almost didn't talk through the last like couple of months of AngelPad because like of the way the team dynamics changed um so the, and basically the whole whole team almost fell apart but at the end Jay and I uh, sorry Rodrigo and I got together recommitted to working on I done this called all the investors and told them that the, the team was Rodrigo and me and told them to stick with us and they did and then Jay left and moved on to, you know, Jay left and moved on to other things. And so, like, one of the big mistakes we made early on, in short, one of the biggest mistakes we made early on was taking on a random co-founder and not really thinking about it and uh, thinking there would be no consequences and then having, you know, and then having to sort of, like, deal with the fallout from him leaving.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's that's a key lesson, right? I mean, you you've got to hire carefully, but you've got to be even more careful about who you bring on as a co-founder. Right. And I hear a lot of people saying it's like getting married, right? It's, it's, you've got to think of it almost like that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's well put. And so, yeah, you know, I think one of the hardest, like, and you hear this all the time, it's like one of the hardest things to fix in your company is like your co-founder relationship because like you can fix the product, you can fix like the market, you can choose a different market, but like, if you choose a different co-founder, you think you can do that? Like if you you know, you think might think going into it, oh yeah, I'm gonna get this sweet co-founder, we're gonna raise two million bucks. If he leaves, no big deal. But like it it's never plays out that way because like if when the co-founder leaves or you know it makes it much more difficult for you in the eyes of others and in reality. Uh,
1: looking um, I, I no, I guess that's not not looking back, we've done that. so at uh, what <laughs> point did you feel like you were getting meaningful traction with the business
0: yeah so that's a good question so for us and you know the standards have changed a lot you know um so it, you know i would say actually it's a really good question fundamentally because i would say this like we actually thought we had amazing traction just because even a single person used it and liked it you know um on the flip side like i think you can fall into a trap where it's like and we fell into this trap where it was like we wanted to add more users and we just thought that, like, that meant traction. But we had, early on we had a retention problem. And uh, and so – but we couldn't – but we had just sort of, like, fixated on this idea, this sort of, like, vanity metric of, like, total number of registered users. So, um, so whenever we were adding users, we felt like we were adding traction even though, you know, we continued to have, like, this retention problem. So I think the smart people – The smart people who look at traction early on really focus laser in on like, you know, retention um, and like usage and value. I think people who, yeah, I think the mistake that I made and the mistake that a lot of people make is like focusing on big numbers and and total number of signups and and that kind of thing.
1: So, what was the the churn problem that you guys were having?
0: Yeah, it's just that, you know, that uh, people really loved, I'd done this early on. Um, and, uh, cause you know, they're like, oh wow, you know, I'm, I'm getting stuff done, but it kind of demanded that you do it every single day, <laughs> you know? And like, imagine doing, using some app every single day for like the rest of your life. Like, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine. So once p- someone dropped off, it was hard to bring them back on. Um, so it, cause it was kind of like this commitment accountability app. So like it kind of made you feel bad about yourself when you didn't do it. So I don't think that's like long-term sustainable. So that was sort of like the main problem there.
1: Okay. So you, you've got investors, um, you know, you're getting through some of these, um, uh, challenges, I guess, both on the co-founder side and the, the customer retention. What kind of things were you doing to attract more customers?
0: Yeah. So what, so I think the fundamental piece of advice on this that I got that is true and this is obvious 100% obvious but sometimes you forget about this which is just double down on what's worked. So I told you early on we got you know we got on the front page of Hacker News and 100 you know hundreds of people signed up. Well early on we we're like okay let's get on the front page of Hacker News every week <laughs> right. Um, so we started writing this blog and uh you know, we would write articles about that were related to, you know, related to the stuff we were working on. So like, for example, there was this idea of like Jerry Seinfeld productivity secret where like, you know, every day Jerry Seinfeld would make sure that he wrote a joke and then he would put an X on a calendar when he did write a joke and getting a streak of X's on the calendar would motivate him. So we wrote about that concept uh, and put an, I'd done this kind of spin on it, wrote an article about it and then pushed it to the front of Hacker News using the same tactics that we had done you know, in the very first launch, have I done this? And so we were consistently able to appear on the front page of Hacker News with different articles, and it would just drive more and more signups. And then, and then what that grew into was sort of like a, but the problem, so that was good, it got us visible, it got hundreds of signups. The problem was that it was like a, you know, it was like this sort of like, uh hit based kind of Hit based acquisition model because, like, if the article didn't appear on the front page, you would have spent hours writing an article that nobody read, and there would be zero signups, you know. So it'd be either be hundreds or zero, right? Hundreds, thousands, or none, right? And so, and, and people started complaining, you know, aren't, aren't always happy to see the same article, you know, the same company have articles on the front page of Hacker News. So it sort of turned into this generalized content marketing strategy where we are creating content and not only getting distribution through Hacker News, but getting distribution through other channels and then you driving, you know, signups through content.
1: How many, uh, users do you have today kind of actively using the product?
0: So right now we're focusing on more, you know, paying customers. So we have like a thousand paying customers.
1: Okay, cool. Now, one of the things that really struck me about I done this is it's such a, simple idea, right? And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I think, uh, you know, a lot of developers might look at something like this and say, I could build that. Mm -hmm. Right. It doesn't seem to be doing that much. Right. Um, what do you think was behind you guys being successful with this idea? And also, as you've grown um, and got more visibility and success with this product, have you had to deal with like copycat products out there as well?
0: Yeah, so we have, I mean, it amazes me, but yeah, there are copycat products where I've done this and they pop up all the time. Uh, (laughs) And it sort of blows my mind, you know, it's kind of funny. Um, I think the reason for our success that a lot of these copycats are missing is that one, whenever you're a copycat and, and I, uh, you're sort of, you're coming at it from, you don't, ha- you don't necessarily have an organic reason driving what you're doing. So you're, you're not always able to come up with new good ideas. Um, and I think the, so I think the main thing that drives like our success, one of the main things is, is just, it's trying to come up, you know, it's trying to trying to really look at our customers and, like, the problem we're solving and come up with our own original solution and reason for doing things Um, and not, and, you know, like, really serve our customers' needs and not just sort of try to copycat or follow someone. Um, Like, you know, I'm a believer that, like, the simplest products are the ones that, you know, like, a simple product can really deliver a lot of value. And so... um, uh, so it's not sort of just, like, the simplicity of it. It's really just, like, honing in on what customers want and need and trying to trying to solve that problem. I mean, it seems kind of vague. I mean, it is super vague. But I always feel like we were able to articulate, you know, a reason for our product existence. And this is part of, like, doing content early on. It sort of makes you think a lot about, like, why you're doing things and what how you can express it in a way that's really interesting and, and compelling to people. But it's like we were always able to think of, like, an interesting, compelling reason and twist on why i done this works and is meaningful that like a, tr- you know, that appealed to someone enough to sign up for it.
1: You know, it's, I look through the site and it's really impressive in, in terms of the companies that you have listed there from Zappos, Twitter, Foursquare, Shopify, Uber, Heroku, Reddit, the list goes on. Um, how how did you reach these people? Was it really all through Hacker News?
0: (laughs) It's a So it was a lot through Hacker News. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, I I told you, sort of, we expanded Hacker News, sort of, we started with Hacker News as a distribution channel for content, but we expanded, so we ended up having lots of distribution for our content apart from Hacker News. So, for example, it turned out, you know, I ended up talking to Will Young, who has become a friend. So Will Young is head of Zappos in San Francisco. And he... Learned about I'd Done This because the CEO, Tony Shea, read an article that I wrote on Business Insider, and he sent it to some of his execs, and so one of them reached out. So one of them was Will, and he, you know, ended up signing up for I'd Done This, and then we became friends. Um, so, it, a, you know, a lot of it is, so a lot of it was that content, you know, like, writing content in a way that was sort of like... High brow enough that an executive would an executive of like the quality of like Tony Hsieh and Zappos would read it and say that's interesting <laughs> you know that's interesting I want to learn more about this um, and that's interesting enough to send it to other people in the company um, and then the second part of it was I was always in early on I and the rest of the team we were always in our inbox our support inbox reading it closely learning about the people who are re- reaching out to us for example like early on I was in the inbox and what you know it just so happened that I got an email from Toby Luke the CEO of Shopify and you know we and as a team like we recognized who he was which you know it doesn't always happen like you know if you hire a random support person off Odesk they won't necessarily, they won't know who Toby is apart from any random person right um, we noticed Toby CEO of Shopify had just signed up for our product and so we thought like you know, we emailed back and forth with him and he's an awesome guy and he gave great feedback and, you know, he, like, shared his thoughts and I was talking with Rodrigo and we came up with the idea, like, hey, why don't we email Toby and ask him, can we go up to Ottawa, Canada, where they're based, and go hang out with him for a week, see how they're using i see if we can get to know him better. He emailed me back and said, that's an awesome idea. Like, I wish more startups would do that. Come up to Ottawa. And we went to, we flew up to Ottawa for a week and they had us in their office. They gave us desks there. They we met with all of their exec team. Like this is before. This is when they're hundred employees, and when they were like you know a two hundred million dollar company. Now they're a billion dollar company. IPOing, right? Um, and and they invited us in, and we got to know them, and uh, and and then Toby ended up investing in Idunus, and so like it, it was not. It was like the content, but it was also sort of being opportunistic and seeing that opportunity and thinking about an interesting. Thinking about an interesting and creative way to get to know them better, right? You know what I mean. And it's always and and I think one of the hardest things about hiring is teaching them. Like, if I were going to hire a customer support person, one of the hardest things is teaching them to to jump on these opportunities and like to see the opportunity, jump on it and do it in a way that's interesting, distinct, in a way that only like someone had I done this could do, not someone who's at a copycat clone company. You know what I'm saying? It's like infusing the company with that spirit that like you had when you're founders, where you're doing everything and you see these opportunities and you do, em- embrace them in an interesting way. So, th- you know, that's kind of like how we got to know these people and uh, and like how we saw the opportunities and how we jumped on them.
1: And both those guys, Tony Shea and-, and Toby, are both investors in your company now as well, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And so like, for example, with Tony Shea, like I got to know Will... And, and he invited us to their Zappos, you know, I got, we were emailing back and forth, we kind of hit it off, he invited us to Zappos office in San Francisco, Really, it was super nice of him. Uh, we, we I met Will, we got to know, I got to know him better, and he was like, hey, why don't you go, why don't we you come to Las Vegas and meet with Zappos, you know, in, in Vegas. And uh, so I brought, you know, we got the team, we went up and went to Las Vegas, and we'll set up a meeting with Tony Shea and like, I, I mean, I, we got to hang out with Tony for a couple hours, um, which is, you know, which is something that everyone wants to do when they go to Las Vegas, but you know, not many people get the opportunity <laughs> cause he's a busy guy. Um, but yeah, yeah it's just, you know, um, it was just sort of like get, you know, sort of relating it, it's, I, you know, it's some people might call it networking, but I think it's really just sort of like relating with people in a, human way, getting to know them and trying to, like, make make your customer successful, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, no, I completely get you with that because, I, I don't know, personally with me, um, I used to hear a lot about, you know, people telling me, you know, you should network more, right? <laughs> and right. I, I just hated that word. It just seems so, I, I don't know, just insincere, like, you know, yep. just trying to go and get something from somebody. And then... Eventually, I can't remember what it was, but there was some experience or some book that I read where it really just changed my perspective in terms of, you know what? It's just about making connections. It's about finding ways to help people without expecting anything back. And, and you know, um, I think what was the expression? uh, Harvey McKay, I think it was the guy who wrote the book about dig your well before you're thirsty, (laughs) right? And I love that analogy about you know, just, just go out and just do this stuff. Don't expect anything back. Um, and eventually the good karma will come back to you in some shape or form, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Walter Chen of I'd Done This. You can get to the show notes for this episode by going to com slash 65, where you'll find all the links and resources that we discussed today. In episode 66, you can listen to part two of this interview where we talk about how a blog post that Walter wrote got him an invitation to hang out with the leadership at Zappos and resulted in Tony Shea, their CEO, becoming an investor in Walter's company. So until next time, take care. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Conversion Aid, the podcast that shows you how to take your
0: business to the next level and create software that sells. But things don't have to end here. Head over to conversionaid.com slash VIP and get yourself on the free VIP list where we share special insider content and news about upcoming episodes. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time.